We are now just one hour away from the House of Representatives coming back into session at 10 p.m. Eastern this evening to potentially end this now historically and embarrassingly long election for Speaker of the House. After four days and 13 failed rounds of voting, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy has finally managed to move the needle, bringing all but six of his detractors to his side. So now, assuming everybody in the House shows up and votes for someone, McCarthy needs just two more opponents to switch sides and, of course, to hold everyone else together. If that happens, he could win this thing. For whatever it's worth, McCarthy seems confident he can get those final votes. I think you saw we made some very good progress. Uh, We'll come back tonight. I believe at that time we'll have the votes to finish this once and for all. But if he can't pull this off tonight, there is no telling how much longer his supporters will stand behind him. So for McCarthy, it may all come down to tonight, which is incredibly fitting. Because tonight is also the two-year anniversary of the January 6th attack on our Capitol by a right-wing mob incited by former President Trump. And in a fairly significant way, tonight's vote on Kevin McCarthy is directly tied to how he responded to that attack. In fact, you can't really understand what is happening to McCarthy this January 6th without looking at what happened to him and what he did after the last January 6th in 2021. They're trying to effing kill me. That is what Kevin McCarthy reportedly shouted at former President Trump during a heated phone call during the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, begging the president to intervene. Days later, on a private conference call with Republican leaders, McCarthy let them know how he truly felt. This was McCarthy discussing the possibility of using either the 25th Amendment or impeachment to remove Trump from office for his role in January 6th. Liz, you on the phone? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I guess there's a question. When when we were talking about the 25th Amendment resolution, um, yeah. and you asked if, if, you know, what happens if it gets there after he's gone, is, is there any chance, are you hearing that he might resign? Is there any reason to think that might happen? I've had some few discussions. My gut tells me no. Um, I'm seriously thinking of having that conversation with him tonight. I haven't talked to him in a couple days. Um, From what I know of him, I mean, you guys all know him too. Do you think he'd ever back away? But what what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call him. My this this is what I think. No, it'll pass the House. I think there's a chance it'll pass the Senate even when he's gone. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ramifications for that. Now, I haven't had a discussion with the Dems that if he did resign, would it not happen? Now, this is one personal fear I have. Um, I do not want to get into any conversations about Pence pardoning anything like that. I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should resign. Um, I mean, that would be my take, but I don't think he would take it, but I don't know. That was four days after January 6, 2021. Kevin McCarthy was privately admitting that he thought both the 25th Amendment and an impeachment resolution could pass and that he was going to try to call President Trump to get him to resign. 
It was big. I mean, this was seismic stuff from one of the leaders of the Republican Party. Three days later, McCarthy made at least part of his opinion public on the House floor. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. That was Kevin McCarthy's position in the immediate aftermath of January 6th. They are trying to effing kill me. Trump should resign. He should accept responsibility. People took notice of that, especially people in the House Freedom Caucus. People like the five current conservative holdouts, the people who are now stonewalling Kevin McCarthy in his bid for the speakership, who were in the House Freedom Caucus that day. And all of them, they voted to overturn the 2020 Electoral College results on January 6th. They were probably not very happy with Kevin McCarthy and what he was saying. Maybe they voiced their displeasure. Maybe they didn't. But guess what? By the end of that month, January 2021, Kevin McCarthy had changed his tune. On January 28th, well before other members of Congress had returned to President Trump's side, Kevin McCarthy flew down to Florida to meet with the newly ex-president himself. But they didn't talk about January 6th. They didn't discuss Trump's role and responsibility in that attack. In a statement released by former President Trump's super PAC that day, they said the meeting was a very good and cordial one. They discussed many topics, number one of which was taking back the House in 2022. President Trump has agreed to work with Leader McCarthy on helping the Republican Party become the majority in the House. From that day on, the issue of the insurrection that McCarthy believed was trying to kill him and and believed Trump should resign over. That issue didn't seem to bother Kevin McCarthy much anymore. His new focus was taking back the House and maybe becoming Speaker of it. In the months following the insurrection, McCarthy pulled all Republican support from the committee investigating January 6th, and he personally refused to comply with the committee's subpoenas and requests during its investigation. Now, we have no idea if there was an explicit deal here or if McCarthy just decided that his political future seemed brighter with Trump and his supporters on his side. But McCarthy certainly appeared to bet his own political future on supporting Trump and the election-denying MAGA wing of the Republican Party after January 6th. Some part of that bet seems to have paid off. Tonight, NBC is reporting that Trump is getting involved and he is whipping votes for Kevin McCarthy. As for the House Freedom Caucus, whose support Kevin McCarthy so desperately needs to become Speaker, well, they watched him capitulate to one group of people intent on derailing democracy on January 6, 2021. And now, two years later, on January 6, 2023, they're seeing just how far they can push him as their own group derails democracy once again. We are going to be joined by Congressman Jamie Raskin in just a moment. But first, for the latest on where things stand tonight in all of these negotiations, we are joined now by NBC Capitol Hill correspondent Ali Vitale. Ali, is 14 the charm for Kevin McCarthy? Is it going to happen for him tonight? 
They really hope so, and frankly, Alex, they think so. Right now, what they're working on is that screen of holdouts that you put up during your introduction. There are actually six names on that list, and there are two that I'm told are really the targets of a lot of the negotiations right now from within Kevin McCarthy's orbit. You see them there on the screen. Freshman Arizona member Eli Crane and Montana member Matt Rosendale. For each of them, the calculations are different here. For Rosendale, there's a little bit of home state politicking going on as well. He's someone who's widely believed to have aspirations to want to run in the upcoming Montana Senate race, voting against Kevin McCarthy and being as steadfast against, quote unquote, establishment Republicans will probably play really well in that primary here. Nevertheless, our sources are telling us that this is one of the members that Trump is also helping to push to McCarthy's side. And Alex, these folks don't necessarily even have to get to yes. They can get to yes or they can get to present. And that's what negotiators hope happens here. They are optimistic. They're confident. And they also think this is kind of the only chance for that. They want to be able to push this through tonight. They want to be able to move on the rules package after that. And as you can hear probably on either side of me in this hall right now, both Republican lawmakers who are doing the work of trying to get McCarthy the speakership are expressing optimism right now about the fact that they think that he's going to have the votes. But the other thing that they're celebrating is the way that the Freedom Caucus was able to bend McCarthy to their will on this, exerting themselves and their power to try to get these certain concessions around things like a motion to vacate the chair, yes, which some members have talked about as a way to hold McCarthy accountable. It makes you ask a good question. How long will he be able to be speaker if he doesn't continue to go along with these parts of his conference? I think that's a question that we're going to be asking repeatedly over the course of the next two years, because what this shows is that the other pieces of the concession are around things like spending, how money will flow from this building, whether it's on things like Ukraine aid, but also just the basic fundamentals of keeping the government open as well as raising the debt ceiling. When you put more Freedom Caucus members on key committees like the Rules committee, the the gatekeeper to how things get to the House floor, it ensures that all future battles here are going to be really messy for Kevin McCarthy to the point where you look around and it's almost a case of be careful what you wish for. If he gets the speakership, he may look around at a certain point and wonder if he didn't trade away all the tools to make him a successful speaker in the first place. Ali, are they still negotiating things or is it just putting the things they've negotiated on paper? The things that they negotiated are already on paper for the 15 members that we saw move this afternoon. In fact, the rules package is out. They're going to vote on it later tonight, sometime between like 1 and 3 in the morning after they swear members in. That's the plan right now, assuming McCarthy goes to the floor and actually gets the votes and Congress can start being Congress again. But really, the the... Part of the negotiating that they're doing right now is with people like Crane and Rosendale, and I'm also told potentially Lauren Boebert. We may find that out in the next few minutes. But again, Alex, it's not even necessarily negotiating to get them to yes. It's maybe negotiating to get them to present just so that the total threshold number that McCarthy earns is a little bit lower so that they can actually get there. NBC's Capitol Hill correspondent, Allie, I'm telling you things you already know, but it's going to be a long night for you, my sister. Good luck out there. (laughs) Joining us now is Congressman Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland. He was a member of the January 6th committee and will be the ranking member on the Oversight Committee should the 118th Congress ever get to work. Congressman, thank you for joining us tonight. I I wonder how you look upon uh, 
the events that have unfolded in the course of the last few days and the fact that here we sit on January 6, 2023. Well, it's hard for me not to view it in the context of what happened two years ago today. Um, <clears throat> Kevin McCarthy, who originally, um, you know, cried about what was taking place uh, and rightfully so attacking Donald Trump, um, quickly withdrew his criticism and then pandered to the pro-insurrectionist part of the Republican Party and helped to whitewash and cover up what had taken place. And that was a signal to the extremist elements within the Republican Party that there was nothing that Kevin McCarthy wouldn't do in order to achieve power within the GOP caucus. And so he has moved steadily to the right and he has capitulated at every turn to these extremist elements within the GOP. And that's what makes this uh, such a scary moment in terms of the precipice of the 118th Congress, because there are a lot of things where he has just completely given the keys of power away to uh, the most fanatical parts of his caucus and, you know, essentially giving a one member veto to the most extreme members uh, of the caucus means that we are going to have a series of uh, drag down battles on things like uh, the debt limit, shutting down the government and so on. But to my mind, this is all part of the implosion of the Republican Party as they continue to cater to these fanatical forces that we saw on full display two years ago tonight. You know, there's a fox in the hen house quality to all of this. It was one thing to have election deniers in Congress. Now we're talking about election deniers chairing committees or subcommittees really at the upper echelons of power in Congress. I mean, what are the implications for the 2024 presidential election to have, as you point out, election deniers one step away from ousting the Speaker of the House? Can they fool around with election certification come 2024? I mean, what practically are the implications of the concessions that that Kevin McCarthy has made to this group of people? Well, look, they've shown on January 6th, 2021 and January 6th, 2023, there's nothing that they won't do. They are a rule or ruin faction. And the way that the radical Republicans, who are obviously a very different breed than these Republicans, dealt with it after the Civil War was they built into the Constitution in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment a statement that if you swear an oath of uh, office to uphold the Constitution and you betray the oath by engaging an insurrection or rebellion, you can never hold office again. And the, the history of that uh, provision is fascinating because the Republicans wanted to go further and just disenfranchise anybody who participated in the Confederacy. And when it got over to the Senate, the Senate said, well, that goes too far. Let's just focus on the most hardcore element, those people who had sworn an oath to the Constitution but violated it. And we'll make sure they can still vote, but they can never serve in office again. And so I think that's a provision that the country has got to be taking seriously in the days ahead, as the January 6th committee urged in our final recommendations. When you talk about the January 6th committee, I mean, there is they have shown this group of folks, these incoming Republicans who are taking the majority have shown every in the indication and inclination that they want to have their own kind of bizarro version of the January 6th committee, an investigation to weaponize the federal government. They th seem to have the funding locked down for that. They have their sights set on people who worked on the committee, who may have been sources to the committee. How concerned are you about the security of those who in many ways risk their careers, if not their lives, testifying against the former president and his allies who tried to steal the election? 
Well, the first point about that, Alex, is that they will not revisit the findings of the January 6th committee because the people that they would call as witnesses, i.e. the members of the Trump administration, the Trump White House, the Trump family, all testified and they all told the same story, which was uh, Donald Trump simply refused to take no for an answer from the American people and set about to overturn a presidential election all the way to the point of inciting a violent mob to storm the Congress of the United States and attack his own vice president. So they're not going down that road. But you're right that they will try to cook something up about the Department of Justice. And already there are completely failed allegations uh, about Russiagate, which uh, they think people are listening to, but they're not. Everybody understands that Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump are aligned as an axis of autocratic and plutocratic power on earth. And they're all trying to overthrow democracies. So uh, if that's what they want to do, if they want to have that conversation, great, because we'd love to talk about Vladimir Putin's filthy imperialist invasion of Ukraine, his attack on democracy in Ukraine, and indeed his attack on democracy all over the world as he tries to undermine democratic parties, democratic movements and democratic constitutions. Um, Congressman Raskin, I think of you as the poet laureate of the House. And as such, I wonder if you could put into context this moment as compared to Election Day uh, 2022, when Democrats were feeling very good about the American public offering a fairly resounding uh, vote in, in favor of democracy and staving off this slide that seemed at one point inexorable towards anti-democratic forces, if not outright autocracy. Couple that with the events of the last four days where the Republican uh, would-be Speaker of the House is catering to a radical fringe that seems intent indeed on, on cementing anti-democratic forces inside the lower chamber. Well, look, the Democrats, um, we have a tough job because we've got to do two things. One is we have to refute and debunk all of the lies, the disinformation, the propaganda, the conspiracy theories, the scandals du jour, um, and honor the facts. And so we have to be a truth squad for America. But then even more importantly, we have to keep America moving forward. We've got to stay on track in terms of investment in infrastructure, in lowering uh, health care and prescription drug costs. We've got to be meeting the needs of the American people. But the great news is that the Democratic Party post-Donald Trump is a very different party than before Donald Trump. We are battle-hardened. We are veterans of all of their propaganda and disinformation and nonsense. We know how to take them on. And the people in the Democratic caucus who've hung together 212 to zero, ballot after ballot for Hakeem Jeffries, from our most conservative elements to our most progressive elements, the people who've hung together, uh, we are blood brothers and sisters in this struggle to defend American democracy and American freedom. And we are backed by the vast majority of the American people all over the country. And we know that what we're up against against is a minority party, a shrinking minority party, increasingly uh, shrill, uh, increasingly cultish in their ways. But they do have control over certain anti-democratic practices like voter suppression, and they manipulate the electoral college, and they use gerrymandering to their advantage and so on. So it's a race between the democratic will of the vast majority of the people and these anti-democratic practices that are just barely keeping the GOP alive today. 
Well, I think a lot of people walk, watch what is happening and uh, you have you have the enthusiasm and the support and the admiration of a lot of um, parts of the country, which I still believe is a majority of America. Congressman Jamie Raskin once more into the breach, Democrat from Maryland and former member of the January 6th committee. Thank you for making time tonight, especially before the House has to go vote again at the top of the hour. May this end soon. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. We have much more ahead tonight with the House scheduled to reconvene in less than an hour to begin a 14th round of voting for speaker. We will take a look at the huge concessions Kevin McCarthy has been willing to make to his far right detractors in order to get the votes he needs. But next, exactly two years since a pro-Trump mob attacked the Capitol. And while the January 6th committee may have wrapped up its work, Donald Trump may still face consequences for what happened that day. Congressman Eric Swalwell joins me live coming up next to discuss. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try MSNBC. Understand more. Lady Ruby Freeman viewed her civic duty as a Fulton County election worker, as a sacred mission to ensure the people of Georgia could exercise their fundamental right to vote freely and fairly. In the 2020 election, she upheld that sacred mission despite an orchestrated campaign to overturn the election and that targeted and threatened her and her family. And today, we the people honor Lady Ruby Freeman as part of our nation's voting rights history. This afternoon, as the House of Representatives continued to fail to elect a speaker, don't worry, they will be back in the next hour to try it again. President Biden awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal to 14 people, including veteran elections workers Ruby Freeman and her daughter Shay Moss. Both women were forced to quit their jobs and go into hiding after the 2020 election when they received nonstop death threats. Those threats were thanks to failed presidential candidate Donald Trump and his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who falsely claimed that Freeman and her daughter tampered with Fulton County, Georgia ballots. They did not. And Trump's own Justice Department told them so. But those claims, unfounded though they were, turned those women's lives upside down. As Ms. Freeman testified to the January 6th committee this summer, she reached a point where she didn't feel safe anywhere and she couldn't even use her own name in case someone recognized her. And now, two years later, Donald Trump is doubling down on the very same lie that sparked that initial harassment. On Truth Social this week, Trump again falsely claimed that Freeman and Moss were, quote, stuffing the ballot boxes. Trump has already been told that that claim is a lie. But he is repeating the smear anywhere. Only, anyway, only this time there could be repercussions for him. And that is because Freeman and her daughter have already sued Rudy Giuliani for defamation. And that case is ongoing. 
So far, they haven't been able to pursue Trump for his seemingly defamatory language in 2020. He might be insulated from claims he made during his presidency. But, and this is the catch, Donald Trump is not the president anymore, regardless of what he may say or think. And he certainly wasn't president this week when he repeated lies about Freeman and Moss. They could sue him for this. So the question is, will they add to Trump's web of legal live wires, any one of which could slap him with an indictment in the coming months? Joining us now is California Congressman Eric Swalwell, who sat on both the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees in the 117th Congress. Maybe whenever the House elects a new speaker, we will know about the Congressman's committee assignments in the 118th Congress, but that could be far off. Congressman, it's always great to see you. Thanks for being here tonight. Thanks, Alex. So first, the the fact that a former president is still repeating defamatory lies about election workers, the fact that we have reporting out of, I believe it's New Mexico, that the three homes of elected Democratic officials in that state were hit by gunfire, the fact that Kevin McCarthy is giving the keys to the House to a group of election deniers. I mean, how concerned are you right now about the integrity of, of our democratic process, about free and fair elections going forward? Well, Alex, uh, two years ago from today, the insurrectionists failed to take over the Capitol. But tonight, it looks like they're going to take over the Republican Party and uh, put in place uh, Kevin McCarthy as essentially a, a vessel state of MAGA nation. And, and MAGA nation doesn't accept election results. MAGA nation prefers violence over voting. And, and that's a very scary proposition. Now, the next two years, they can't do any damage as far as elections, but the upcoming presidential election, if we fail to reclaim the House, they would be in a position to not certify uh, a Democratic uh, president being elected or even maybe a Republican president uh, that they did not uh, like. Right. I mean, they they seem to only prefer uh, the most extreme in their party. So that's what's so terrifying about where we are headed uh, right now. By the grace of God and the bravery of Capitol and Metropolitan Police, the Capitol that was defended on January 6th, we honored them today. Uh, but the next two years is very shaky. It seems like part of the question here is, can these perpetrators face accountability? Um, we know that there are ongoing multiple federal investigations into President Trump and his allies. We know that the family of Officer Sicknick filed a wrongful death suit against Trump and two rioters who were char- uh, charged with assaulting Officer Sicknick before he died. Um, there's the potential defamation lawsuit that Ruby Freeman could could launch. Do, do, in your experience, and I know you're a lawyer as well, I mean, do you think that accountability matters to the people that are looking towards future elections? I mean, how much of a precedent does legal action set? It it absolutely matters because in America, we always have this crazy idea, this belief that, you know, the bad guys always get caught, the good guys, you know, right off into the sunset. And so if this was a movie, I would say, you know, we are going into the final scene. If this was a TV show, it'd be the last episode. If this was a musical or a symphony, it would be the crescendo. I think accountability is coming for Donald Trump. It's coming in Georgia at the state level. It's coming from the federal investigations. And of course, on the civil side, whether it's the New York attorney general or just this cascade of lawsuits against him, accountability is coming. It's not coming as fast as any of us want it to come. But when it arrives, it is going to drop hard on Donald Trump. I think it's going to redeem our justice system. 
Do you think that that's going to matter to the members of Congress who remain staunch defenders of the president and deniers about the election in 2020, perpetrators of the big lie? I mean, I have to ask because they're so prominent in terms of the organization of this incoming Congress. They seem so empowered. They seem not at all contrite about previous statements uh, perpetrating these lies. Do you think the accountability will chill the mendacity? No, but Alex, I, I do wonder... Will it matter to the remaining moderate Republicans who will need to be a part of this coalition that they've stitched together, the coalition of insurrectionists, of a wanted international criminal from Brazil who somehow got elected to Congress? Will it matter to the moderates? Because if you were one of those 18 Biden Republicans who earnestly told your constituents you want to go to Washington and get things done, your political death certificate was just signed in the deal that Kevin McCarthy made because... Kevin McCarthy cannot protect you any longer from the crazy votes that will be coming forward to defund the troops, which is one of the deals he just made to defund the troops by $75 billion or to protect you from the effort to defund the war in Ukraine, to protect Ukraine or the effort to fund the government or to extend the debt ceiling. Those 18 members are left out on their own. So it's a matter of do they want to band together? Do they have agency? Do they want to save themselves, their constituents their party and our country. That's where my hope lies. I mean, when you talk about defunding uh, the armed forces, you talk about not honoring slain police officers. I mean, this is defunding or cutting funding for a a war for freedom in in Ukraine, something that is like the sort of bread and butter of a hawkish conservative foreign policy. It brings it, it makes you question what this GOP actually stands for, since they have reneged on sort of foundational yeah. promises and principles of the party. I mean, I, I thought it was incredibly telling that the Democrats were the ones, you know, taking a moment of silence for slain police officers this morning. There was only, I think, one Republican among that group. Yeah, Alex, their vigil was at the D.C. jail. Uh, that, that's the folks that they... Uh, we're on the side with. And, and tonight, if they do elect a speaker, you will see the largest, and if you're asking me, who do they care about? If they elect a speaker, you will see the largest law firm in Washington, D.C. form, and they will be here for the next two years to litigate the grievances of one petty client, Donald Trump. That's it. So it's his inconsistent beliefs that don't align with my parents' Republican Party of smaller government, lower taxes, being strong in the world and foreign policy. No, it's just whatever Donald Trump's grievances are. And that's why it's so inconsistent to you and me, because it's only about him and he has them to carry that out. Well, we don't know how the story ends. We will be watching what happens tonight. The good guys right off into the sunset. That's how okay. it ends. Okay, you're the TV, you're scripting this TV show, Congressman. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your time. Good luck tonight. Uh, get some pizza. My we'll pleasure. be watching. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Okay, we are less than half an hour away from the House coming back into session. Kevin McCarthy seems to think he has the votes, finally, lined up to become Speaker, but at what cost? He is willing to give away a massive amount of power to the far right, more power, in fact, than they have ever had in Congress. We are going to get into the nitty-gritty of those giveaways coming up next. Hey everyone, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? We're back with another installment of our special series with Pod 2024, The Stakes. I'm talking to experts about both Joe Biden and Donald Trump's records on specific policy areas during their time as president. This week, a biggie. 
abortioneveryday.com founder Jess Valenti on the stakes of reproductive rights. Conservatives, Republicans would like us to believe that this is something that voters are sort of super polarized on, that we're evenly split down the middle. And that's just not true. Voters want abortion to be legal, even in red states, even in purple states. That's why we're seeing attacks on democracy. That's this week on Why Is This Happening? Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and follow. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. In less than 30 minutes, the House is expected to begin what would be the 14th round of voting to try and elect its speaker. At this point, it is an open question about whether this thing gets buttoned up tonight or stretches on to infinity. But this afternoon, Kevin McCarthy made some significant gains. He was able to flip 15 of the 21 votes that have been opposing his bid for the speakership, which was a big deal for Kevin McCarthy, but it did not come for free. In fact, it was very, very expensive. Those flipped votes are the product of key concessions McCarthy has been making to the far right. We don't know exactly how much the group will get in the end, but this is what they want. Florida Republican Matt Gates wants to chair a House Armed Services subcommittee. Maryland Republican Andy Harris, one of Congress's most conspicuous opponents of abortion, wants the gavel of the Appropriations Subcommittee on Health and Human Services. Tennessee Republican Andrew Ogles, a freshman, wants seats on the powerful financial services and judiciary committees. The group also wants four of the nine seats Republicans will have on the House Rules Committee, which would give them power over what does and what does not get debated on the House floor. And the radical Republican Freedom Caucus in general wants four seats on all A-list committees. I mean, why not shoot for the moon? The sky is the limit. And there's more. The McCarthy holdouts have also asked and secured a major concession, one that allows a single House member to call for a motion to vacate the Speaker of the House. So if one member doesn't like what Kevin McCarthy's doing or what he ordered for lunch, they can call for a vote to oust him, which is just sort of wow. All of this has been just part of what's been publicly reported, but the negotiations continue, which is confusing because at this point, no one is exactly sure what is left for Kevin McCarthy to give. Joining us now is Democratic Congressman-elect Robert Garcia from the great state of California. He has also been elected to serve as the House freshman class president of the 118th Congress whenever it actually gets seated. Congressman, it is great to see Congressman-elect, I should say. It is great to see you. Thank you for making the time. What a, what a moment to be in the freshman class. Perhaps you can help enlighten those of us who don't understand how these plum committee assignments are traditionally given out and why these demands are so outrageous. Can you walk us through that process? 
Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, look, I think it's very clear that this entire week has been uh, all chaos and disaster for the Republicans. I mean, as freshmen, we've come in uh, ready to get sworn in at the beginning of the week. Uh, here we are at the end of the week, still not yet sworn in. Uh, multiple votes and no idea that we would be voting so many times for, uh, for Speaker. And yeah, the, the fact that uh, Kevin McCarthy is essentially giving away these incredible committee assignments to the far extreme right, the fact that they're proposing these rules that really benefit nobody uh, except the far extreme right is really crazy. I think um, as freshmen coming in, uh, we were excited to get to work. We've been denied that opportunity all week. Families have been here waiting for folks to get sworn in. Uh, but we're ready. We're ready to work for the American people. But most importantly, we're also concerned. And we're concerned that all these committee assignments shouldn't be done in secret. They should not be, be done behind closed doors. Uh, they should be transparent. And it's very clear that they're not being that way. And so Kevin McCarthy's giving the keys away to the far right MAGA Republicans. And it's starting tonight. I mean, you're a freshman. Would you have the audacity to demand a seat on the uh, Judiciary Committee or the Financial Services Committee? Really? I mean, I think people don't understand how audacious some of this is. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, the truth is, is that when you're, when you're coming in, you are uh, just honored to be here to get to work. And the fact that these demands are being made, especially by folks uh, uh, like Lauren Boebert, like Matt Gaetz, people that are ex represent the extreme far right of the Republican Party of the country is completely ridiculous. I mean, these folks shouldn't even be serving in Congress, let alone uh, essentially uh, driving what's going on with the Republican Party. So now what we have is the far right, uh, the MAGA Republicans, those that are uh, beholden to Donald Trump, completely in control. And what's, what's really sad tonight is that if Kevin McCarthy becomes the speaker, he will be doing so with little power, little influence, and have given all of his power over to the extreme far right. And that's something that us as Democrats, we're gonna stand united against. All 34 of his freshmen that may be sworn in tonight are gonna to fight every single day back on this craziness. Uh, but, and we're also just ready to get to work. And don't you freshmen get any ideas from what's going on here? I do have to ask, in terms of the Rules Committee, again, we, we talk generally about why this could sow chaos. But, Pratt, again, you will be in Congress. Why does it matter that the House Freedom Caucus may have such a presence on the Rules Committee? How practically will that impact the work you do in Congress? I mean, it's completely insane to uh, give over these important seats on the Rules Committee, which, by the way, are critical seats that actually govern the way the Congress works, the, what, what bills come to the floor, uh, the process in our bills. So to give that away to the extreme right, to the, to the Freedom Caucus, to folks uh, that really have no interest in actually governance uh, is crazy. And so really what McCarthy is doing is if he becomes a speaker, he will have little ability to actually influence the way these bills will come to the floor. He's going to give essentially all the power to these folks on the Rules Committee to be able to set the debate times, to set what bills are coming to the floor. And so you're going to see essentially chaos for the next two years. If you've seen uh, chaos these last, uh, last week, you've seen nothing yet for the next two years. Does that mean they can effectively stuff the pipeline with, with legislation that nobody actually wants to pass? It's not just about uh, putting forward legislation that nobody wants to pass. It's controlling who's speaking, how long, uh, what bills actually get heard on the floor, uh, how, with the ability of Democrats to actually have a transparent debate for the American people. And so uh, everything that can go wrong will go wrong uh, when uh, the extreme right takes over the rules, the rules committee, uh, when they essentially set all the rules for the way the House governs. And so this is not the House that uh, us freshmen are, are wanting to come into or expect to come into. But, but please be assured, and people should know, that we are so ready to fight. Uh, we have been emboldened this week. We're ready on day one just to, to get out there and uh, push back on this. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens tonight. But we're, we may get sworn in, so we'll, we'll find out it pretty soon. They're also trying to weaponize something called the Holman Rule, which I believe could make it easier for lawmakers to 
uh, slash the funding of federal agencies or slash the pay of individual employees. And we know this House Republican caucus has set its sights on Alejandro Mayorkas, the, the Department of Homeland, uh, from, uh, the Homeland Security, the Secretary of Homeland Security. We know that they are no fans of Merrick Garland. I mean, are you worried about prominent, uh, federal officials being targeted specifically, their salaries being targeted by House Republicans, given the fact that they have weaponized a mechanism to do so? I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the truth is, is that we have, and it's not just them, we have public servants this week that we're even unsure whether they're even going to be paid in the future because of what's happening on what's happening in this caucus right now. And so they're going to go after, they've been very clear who they're going to go after. They're going to go after cabinet secretaries. They're going to go against federal agencies. They're going to go against civil servants. I mean, that is their MO in this whole process. And so we are very concerned about that, but we're also united. We have a great leader. We have Hakeem Jeffries that is going to be leading this caucus united. You saw every time us voting for him, every single vote. And we, we, trust him, our new leadership team, to guide us in the right direction. And we're going to push back on those attacks. And we're going to push back on all the craziness that's going to happen on the Rules Committee, on House Oversight. Uh, and, we're, and we're ready. I think for us, we're anxious to get sworn in and really take this fight to the Republicans. I know that you've tweeted that you are going to lay your hand when you are sworn in on a Superman, original 1939, Superman number one, comic number one, an OG Marvel comic, along with, I believe... It is your citizenship uh, certificate because you immigrated here from Peru and pictures of your parents who passed away after COVID. As much as we have focused on the negativity surrounding this incoming Congress, your story, the choices you're making right now at the beginning of your career in Congress are heartwarming to a lot of us. How are you feeling about your service looking forward even in this chaos? Well, thank you. I mean, for me, it's just um, an honor and a privilege to be able to be and joining Congress. I'm an, I'm an immigrant. I came here when I was just a kid. And so this opportunity is incredible to represent my community. Um, yeah, I'll be swearing in on a U.S. Constitution, on a copy of the Constitution. And underneath the Constitution will be a picture of my parents who passed away to COVID, uh, my citizenship paper when I became a U.S. citizen in my 20s, uh, and a copy of Superman number, uh, number one on loan from the Library of Congress. Uh, uh, something that means a lot to me as a kid. I learned to read and write English, reading comic books. Uh, and I you know, believe in truth and justice. And so I'm excited about that. And I can't wait to get a chance to actually get sworn in along with all my classmates in the Congress. May that swearing in come soon. And to all those Marvel Comics, DC Comics people, I'm sorry, it is a DC comic, not a Marvel comic. DC Comics, DC Comics. <laughs> Congressman-elect Robert Garcia, may you just be simply Congressman Garcia the next time we speak with you. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks so much. Okay, we have much more ahead tonight as we wait to see just what will happen at the top of the hour. Will the 14th time be the charm for Kevin McCarthy? And the reason why we have had a rare inside look into the inner workings of the House, that reason is kind of surprising, but the glimpse inside is not going to last forever. That's next. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We are moments away from the House resuming its vote for a new speaker after a failed 13th vote for Kevin McCarthy earlier today. Now, one of the silver linings of the severe dysfunction in the House that we are all now living through is that we've been able to see it unfold in real time. The House usually restricts media coverage of its proceedings to a government feed that shows head-on shots at the dais and desks where members stand to address their colleagues. But during special events like the swearing-in of a new Congress, it allows independent cameras into the room to cover its proceedings from all angles. And thanks to the eagle-eyed camera operators at C-SPAN, what is usually a snooze fest 
no disrespect, C-SPAN, has become fairly riveting television. We've seen Kevin McCarthy working the room, making concessions as he desperately tries to get more members of his party to vote for him. We've gotten a rare glimpse of the House tally board showing the results of the sixth failed vote. Oh, how long ago that seems. And we've seen the chaos that broke out on the floor last night when Republicans found the one thing that can unite most of them, a vote to adjourn. These cameras have captured moments we wouldn't have believed if we hadn't seen them ourselves, like far-right Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar chatting it up with Democratic progressive Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She later told me on this program that the two were back-channeling about Kevin McCarthy's version of the truth and the actual truth. The cameras were rolling today when Gosar, one of the holdouts voting against McCarthy, walked up and flipped his vote and then scurried away amid the cheers of his colleagues. He does not look happy there. If not for those cameras, we would have missed the moment that Congressman-elect George Santos failed to notice the clerk calling his name for a vote. Yes, that's you. We also would have missed moments like Congressman-elect Jimmy Gomez introducing his four-month-old son to his colleague, Pete Aguilar. These rare, unrestricted moments and access will likely end when a speaker is chosen, but we will keep watching while we can. And honestly, hopefully, that won't be much longer. Okay, we are just minutes away from the House reconvening. For the latest, let us turn now to NBC News Capitol Hill correspondent Ryan Nobles. Ryan, we know the House is set to resume uh, the vote. Have there been any developments in the last hour or so that may indicate where we're headed this evening? Yeah, quite a bit, actually, Alex. Uh, the Republicans have sent out a whip notice uh, informing their colleagues what they expect to take place today. And they've added things to that whip list that we haven't seen uh, throughout this process, including uh, what they hope will be a vote on the rules package shortly after uh, the vote on the speakership. Now, if this were a traditional opening uh, week of Congress, the first thing they'd do is vote for the speaker. That would take about a half an hour. Then they'd swear everybody in and then they'd start to the business of government the first thing they would do is pass a rules package. So all that stuff that traditionally would have taken place on Tuesday afternoon is now going to take place at uh, 10 o'clock uh, on a Friday night. It's Friday, right? Yeah, Friday night, uh, uh, because it's taken so long to do this process. So the fact that they've whipped this, the, the fact that they've put out what they hope will be a rules package that gets adopted shows that there is a level of confidence that Kevin McCarthy's finally going to get this done tonight uh, that we haven't seen up until this point. That, when you also take into account that many of these holdouts uh, that have been giving him a hard time all this week are all basically conceding that this is the end. The end is finally here. Uh, it looks as though Kevin McCarthy's ultimately going to be successful, something we probably didn't think was going to happen earlier this week. Do we have, so everyone has seen the concessions or every, all the Republican caucus has a good idea of what was negotiated behind closed doors at this point. And we're not getting any indication from the more moderate uh, wing of the Republican Party that they are not OK with this. Right. This is everybody seems to be on board with the with the concessions, if you will. So it depends on how you look at that, Alex. Uh, everyone seems to be OK with Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. We've we've crossed that hurdle. But what we're already going to see play out immediately after this vote takes place is that there are some moderates that aren't comfortable with this rules package, which was a part, just one part, of the lengthy negotiations that are going to ultimately get Kevin McCarthy to the finish line. And there have already been some moderates that have come out and said that they're not going to vote for the rules package. Well, just like the fight over the speakership, 
they can only afford to lose five votes on the rules package and it won't be adopted because no Democrats are going to vote for it. So we know, for instance, Tony Gonzalez, who is a moderate Republican, has said that he's not going to vote for the rules package. There could potentially be four others like him that say no to the rules package. If the rules package doesn't pass, well, now we're in another round of back and forth and negotiating, but it would be the moderates controlling that conversation. So this is just a preview of what the next two years in the House of Representatives could be like because the margins are so tight, basically anything that they want to get passed could be held hostage by just two or three members that are upset about one thing or another. It's going to be chaotic, to say the least. Uh, to say the least. Uh, Ryan, I will just say we know it's you've been there for a long time. You're going to be there for a long time. The next two years are going to be a long time. We are deeply appreciative of your family, especially your son, Jack, for loaning you out to us this evening and many other evenings to come, my friend. Good luck tonight. Well, as you know, Jack's a big fan of yours, Alex, so he will definitely appreciate you. We want to keep the home fires burning. (laughs) Ryan, good luck. That does it for us tonight. 